All right. Good morning. I guess we've said that a lot already, but good morning again. My name is Derek, and I'm the pastor here. So if you're new with us, that's me. Um, welcome. And we are uh, in the second Sunday of a two-Sunday series on rest and margin and balance and Sabbath is sort of the underlying uh, word for the whole series. Um, does anyone remember what the thing behind me says on the wall? We talked about this last week. The one ring to rule them all. Did I hear that? <laughs> I did hear that, actually. Um, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's the words of Jesus. It comes from Matthew 11. It's uh, in, written in Greek, but it says, uh, and I will give you rest. And so we've been talking about that. And it's one of those things that we all need. It's one of those things that we all pursue. Uh, and uh, it's one of those things that God actually calls us to do. We were meeting as a band beforehand and uh, and as a team beforehand downstairs for prayer and communion. And our devotional leader for the day was just sharing from his own life about how absolutely insane and crazy it has been for him over the last, uh, you know, several months. Just the business that he leads is just occupying so much time and so much energy and the pace and the speed and just the crowdedness of his life has gotten to the point where it's just so difficult to even comprehend this idea of rest. I don't know if you can, do you feel that way sometimes where it's like, that's not going to happen on a regular basis for me. Uh, rest is going to be those things that, uh, that, that, that thing that comes along uh, every now and then. But it's just one of those things in our world, and you know this, like you know this just from your own life, uh, you know this from your own experience, that our world doesn't really allow us uh, to disconnect anymore. It doesn't really allow us to break. It doesn't really allow us to take some time and to breathe and to just reload our souls. You know, it just doesn't let us do that. I have the, um, anybody have news apps on their phone, like like a news, like I have the Huffington Post app on my phone and the, you know, I don't, I don't want to say other news outlets because then you'll judge me based on liberal conservative. Um, <laughs> but I have the red one. And, um, but... But the Huffington Post app, if you have this, like, the way they do this is that you open the thing up, and it's all the, it's just kind of like this, this running list of news stories, and they put one line there, you know, to get your attention, and it does grab your attention, because it's like, you know, you lay down in the bed, and you, you, you check, the, you open it up, and, you, and the first thing you see is, like, it says, like, what Tom Cruise is not telling you, and so you kind of go, I need to know what he's not saying. And so you click the thing, and I click it, and I'm really kind of stressed out. Like, what is he not saying to us as a people? And it just turns out that he—it just turns out that he's shorter than you thought he was. That's what the whole article is about. Like, oh, he's not telling you that he's only five six. Like that's. And then there's like a, a link at the bottom, like you can see photos of other celebrities that are actually shorter than you think. And so you click that, and you're like, wow, Nicki Minaj really is very short. And John Stewart, John Stewart is actually very short. I had no idea. And then like, but the whole, but the whole thing is just like, I was so stressed for a minute. And so they win. Like, I open the app, and it's like, yes, I need to see that. I need to be occupied with that. Do you do this? This is what they do. I mean, they, our world is so good at kind of like grabbing your attention with things that at first might stress you and then draw you in and occupy your time and whatever. My wife is into Pinterest. Anybody into Pinterest? She's a pinhead. Uh, but she, I noticed, uh, I'm not a Pinterest person, uh, but I noticed her one day, it, if, you, if you do Pinterest, like it's endless. Like you just, you move the thing and it just, it, it's bottomless. It doesn't end. Like, it just keeps, do you know what I'm saying? It just keeps going. And uh, that's interesting. And there was one day she was uh, looking at it. I don't know what you do with it. You just look at it. Uh, 
you look at it and you, you feel terrible about yourself because this person can make cupcakes like nobody else in the history of cupcake making and you're like, I could never be this person that I don't know. Um, but she's looking at it and I said, that's endless. Like, when do you stop? And she said, I have a timer. <laughs> like she had a timer on her. That's a good advice though, by the way. Like she had a timer, like when it goes off, she would stop because she knows that like this doesn't end. Like there's more cupcakes to come and you'll just keep looking at cupcakes if you don't have a timer. And so she had, I thought that was uh, really amazing. But that's just the world we live in. Like there's so much noise, so much attention grabbing. There's so much, there's so many things that like want us to be involved with them. And it just, it causes us this, uh, to have this like struggle with being still. And as I said last week, like we just have a hard time as a culture being alone with our own thoughts and our own mind. It's just a very scary place to be. And, uh, but again, the world just doesn't allow us to do that so much. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, I've been quoting her each week, so we'll just do it one more time to close it out. She says this, it's hard to watch the 11 o'clock news with your heart wide open and letting in the misery of neighbors near and far and then sleep soundly through the night. You just can't do it. You can't have this stress and this dissonance and this tension enter in and then somehow find the strength to rest, right? That's just the world that we live in. And the Bible has, again, the nerve to say things like Psalm 4610 when it says, be still and know that I am God. Let's just say that together. It's on the screen for you. Be still and know that I am God. This is the most upstream, countercultural idea. Now, the setting for this statement is very interesting. Psalm 46 is quite a ride. Uh, it's only 11 verses long, and this is verse 10, and it's the only time in the psalm where God speaks, so it has quotes around it. And the, the first nine verses of the psalm is just the writer giving us a picture of essentially the world falling apart. It's like, it's like one of the movies nowadays. It's like everything is uh, falling apart. A world is coming undone. I mean, this is the picture that the psalm gives us. There's mountains falling into the sea, which is quite a scary thing. There are wars. There's death. There's desolation. There's all these different things happening. And so just to read the psalm itself is tense. It's a tense situation. And then at the very end, or right at the very end, God speaks into the psalm. He speaks to us. It's almost like the writer is just journaling. And then at this moment, towards the end, God says, I have something to say about what you're saying. And then he speaks and says, be still and know that I am God. And the context for this command is not uh, anything other than chaos and stress. And it's in those situations that we as people try and work harder to control the situation. We try and work harder to fix the situation. We, we struggle to get our hands around whatever the problem is. And here's God saying, I need you to do the exact opposite, which is to be still. Now, the word be still is the word rafa. It's the Hebrew word, and it means to stop fighting. Some translations, better than the one on the screen, say cease striving. Stop struggling which is exactly what we do when the world's falling apart. Our worlds. We struggle, we fight, we strive. And this statement from God says, I need you to stop doing that. I need you to be still. It's a great word, be still. And the word for no is the word yada, which is 
Uh, if you're a Seinfeld fan, it's the word yada, yada, yada. That's what it is. It's a deeply intimate sexual word to know. On the deepest level of knowing someone, this word yada is that. It doesn't get any deeper than this. It's the deepest human relationship, but it's also used to describe the kind of depth that, we, uh, that God wants to have with us. And what's interesting about this verse is that it supplies for us in just a few words the whole story of God and us, which is that he just wants to know us. But in order to do that, we have to be still. Like we can't, this isn't something that we create. And it isn't something that we fight hard enough and we become deep with God. It's this stillness that leads to this kind of intimacy, this yada with God. This, uh, the thing that I want you to remember today is this right here, that stillness, and we'll talk about this, is the foundation of intimacy with God. Stillness is the foundation for intimacy with God. There is nothing else from which intimacy with God will grow. Stillness is the foundation. That's it. That's where you begin to build a relationship with God. If that's on your mind, if you want to go deeper with God, it begins not with more things, but it begins with less things. It begins with this stillness. I love this quote by Meister Eckhart, where he says, God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but by subtracting, which again is so upstream from our thinking. We have to add more Bible studies, more service opportunities, more things, and those things are great, and God calls us to do those things, but in terms of intimacy with God, it's not through addition, but by subtraction, like erasing the pace or subtracting the pace from our life, subtracting the noise, subtracting the speed and the commitments and the overcommitments. That intimacy with God is found, first and foremost, it's foundational, it's in the stillness that he calls us to and to experience uh, with him. Now, if you were here last week, I shared with you some of my own barriers, some of my own struggles with being still. Uh, I talked about pride being one of those. Nobody likes to be still because then you're unimportant. Uh, a lack of discipline was another one for me, just like I'm just, I say yes to everything, just like you do at times too, like saying no is much harder than saying yes. And I grew up in the South, so you just always say yes, right? This, yeah, yes, I'll do that for you. And then you leave and I go, man, I hate, I hate that person. I don't want to do this for that person. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll, yeah. Um, so just the, the discipline of saying no instead of yes is a very difficult thing to do. And I talked about fear being like to be still, to have this fear, like if I, if I stop producing, if I stop becoming productive, uh, then things will move ahead of me or things will fall apart without me. And so there's this kind of pride that can take place too. And those are some barriers for me uh, when it comes to being still. You may relate to those or maybe others, but there are also some barriers for me in just simply knowing God on this deep level that he calls us to know him on. And these may be the same for you, and there may be many others, but I have dropped all of these things into two words or two experiences, and that's just time and space. The time it takes uh, to grow in a relationship with God is hard for me, and the space, the holy space, the sacred space, the getting people out of my space, space. Like, get out of my face, space, so that I can be with God. That kind of space is very, very hard for me. Time. Let's just talk about time for a minute. I don't know if you struggle with this, but Time is always one of those things that's kind of hard to carve out because it just we, we're just filling it anyway. We just keep filling the days and the days. And if we, if we have a breather, we fill it with something. 
Uh, and, but time, you know, it takes this relationship with God, knowing God is a time-oriented experience. It is not uh, done in urgency. It's a slow burn. Discipleship, which is a nice biblical word for becoming the person that God wants you to be, but ingrained in that is this continuously building and developing relationship with God. That is not done in urgency. It's done through this commitment to the day-to-day, long-term stillness. You don't build a relationship with somebody quickly or on the go. You have to build it slowly. Now, we're busy in our home. Both of us work. We have two kids. We live in kind of a small space. We're all on top of each other. It can get a little crazy. And we have a dog that none of us likes. And so that's another thing. So it's just kind of chaotic. It can get chaotic at times. And I am the worst of the four of us uh, in terms of being present with everybody. I'm always thinking. I'm always thinking about other things. And so occasionally what I'll do is I'll look at my son, who needs my attention, and I'll say, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's go get some ice cream. Let's just go somewhere. And we'll leave our building and we'll just walk somewhere. We don't drive. We don't, whatever. We just, let's take some time and just walk and we'll talk about what you want to talk about and I'll talk about what I want to talk about and then we'll get some ice cream. Because it takes time. Like it just, it can't be done. It's not manufactured quickly. And a relationship with God, knowing God, is not something that's done in urgency. It's done in stillness, discipline. It's slow. It's a slow burn. Uh, There are days and weeks, I'm going to tell you something that you may not believe at first, but it is so true. And it's that pastors and those in ministry, uh, like myself, oftentimes find it hard to spend the necessary time needed to deepen their relationship with God. One of the leading burnout statements of pastors is that they just felt empty. Now, whose fault is that? It's our fault. It's not your fault. It's nobody's fault. You know, we choose to be still. We choose not to be still. And I have experienced that too. I mean, I can go days and weeks sometimes without focusing the appropriate amount of time in prayer and reading the scriptures and being in community with people and just listening to God speak through those various things. Uh, I've said this before, but in youth ministry, we would, you know, when I was doing that job, it was, we might plan a whole weekend retreat for high school students. And the whole retreat's focus may be um, deepening your relationship with God, right? And as soon as we put the thing on the calendar, we just start working through the to-do list. You know, book the buses, get the trip, get the payment, the registration, the advertising, the t-shirts, the speakers, the band, the budget, the pizzas, everything. You just start running through all of this. And then you do this great retreat, And then on the Monday morning debrief with the team, you're like, did we even pray about this trip? Did we put any time on the front end into just praying and seeking God and asking his blessing and and, and being aware that he's going to be there? Like, did we do that? Like, there are so many times in my career where I've gone through ministry things and have never even given them the appropriate amount of time. So I I do it all the time. The problem with us doing it, as opposed to you having that same struggle, is that we don't really have an excuse. Like, I work in this building. Like, it's okay if I come out here and pray. I get it if you're working at SunTrust downtown or some of, I mean, I, I, y'all don't really have as the excuse that, you know, you have the excuse. We don't have the excuse. And we feel ultimately guilty when we go through seasons where we're just kind of drying out. And making the time has always been, it's always been hard for me. 
But as I said last week, the trick, the trick to the Sabbath, the trick to the rest that God calls us to is to rest and to Sabbath when you're not finished with stuff. Because we're kind of like goal-oriented, so it's like, I'm going to finish this and then I'll rest. But the trick to this Sabbath that God calls us to is that you rest and Sabbath when you're not finished, that you rest when there is no time. That's the trick. That's the thing. That's the, I'm out of, I've lost control of the situation kind of rest. That's what he's calling us to. Like Sabbath is essentially resistance to speed and to pace and to commitments. It's resistance. And it has to be done. To know God in the way that he calls us to know him. It can't be done in urgency. It takes time. And the space that it takes, just separating yourself from uh, people and noise, it's very hard. Uh, I wanna, do you know the story of when Jesus fed the 5,000? Have you heard this story before? Okay, good. No one in first service had ever heard that story before. It was, it was amazing. Um, but Jesus fed the 5,000. It's an interesting story. It's a great story. It's like one of those that we, you know, wow, that's okay. That's pretty cool. Uh, but a lot of people don't know what happened before he fed the 5,000. Let me set this up for you, and then I'll show you a little piece of the story. Um, Jesus, at this point in his life, was quite famous in terms of, you know, people, a lot of people knew him. A lot of people wanted to get near him and to be with him and uh, obviously to have him heal them and to hear him teach and all these things. Very, very famous at this point in his life. So much that his time was uh, being demanded of him in such a, at such a pace and at such frequency that he was hardly ever alone anymore. Um, and so it's knowing that, let me show you this first part of the story. It's on the screen uh, for you. Mark says it this way. He said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, come away by ourselves to a what? What does it say? Desolate place and rest for a while. So he looks at his disciples and he's like, we got to get out of here. Like, let's just get away. And then Mark gives us the reason why he said this. Notice what it says next. It says, for many were coming and going, that they didn't even have the leisure to eat. Like, Jesus couldn't eat. If you don't feed God, God dies. It's really a strange thing. Like, Jesus has to eat. Like, it's one of the worst things about becoming a man. Like, God became a man, and that means he's hungry. And his disciples are hungry. And Mark says, like, it was so bad that they just weren't even able to eat. And so they went away, it says, in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. But do you know what happened when they went away in the boat? They crossed the lake. All them people followed them. When they got to the other side of the lake, they were all there. Like, you know, dang it. Like they crossed the lake to get away from all these people. And then they were on the other side of the lake. They chased them around. And that's when he fed them. The feeding of the 5,000 was really just this sort of spoof. I mean, they tried to get away. Jesus tried to distance himself from those people because they were just demanding so much of his time. I really wanted to get into the Greek for this for you, so I found the actual translation for what was really being said, and this is what it is. Uh, he said to them, Peter, get the boat ready. I'll pretend to teach, and when I close with prayer, everybody run. <laughs> we got a jam. Like, we got to get out of here. Right? <laughs> I love the late laughs. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. He didn't say that. Um, <laughs> But he could have. Um, yeah, so Mark, the writer of this gospel, does this several times where he shows us that Jesus did this, in his words, often. Like right at the moment where Jesus' time was demanded of him, he would jet. He would just leave. 
He would leave perfectly good opportunities to heal, to teach, to bring people into a greater understanding of life and God and the universe. And he would just, you know, forget them. Let's just leave so that we can rest, is what he said. So that we can just get away and we can rest uh, for a while. Jesus understood that stillness is the foundation of intimacy with God. So much that he, as Mark said, often got away. He carved out the time, even when there wasn't time. He resisted the urge to keep going and, and instead made the time, forced the time, bulldozed the time into his schedule so that he could get away and rest. I want to close with this story, um, and then we'll take communion together. But one of the great memories I have of high school uh, was running cross-country with my friends. And this was in the day, I mean, this was the mid to late 80s. And so uh, we would meet after school as a team, and we would run. You know, we would just, on the long run days, it was so much fun because it might it might take a couple of hours or even longer, depending on how many, uh, you know, fast food places we stopped and got something to eat. But we would just, I mean, just the memory of like spending hours and hours and hours, countless hours on the roads of Decatur with my friends after school and into the night. This is a pre-cell phone. I mean, like we're just out and about, you know, we're just running around. And we got into this thing. I went to school in Decatur, Shamrock High School. And we got into this thing where we thought it would be really cool on our long run days. We would take a Shamrock bumper sticker and then we would run to one of our competitor, competitor schools and we would stick that sticker on the building and then run home. That was our long run. I think that's illegal, but I don't, I don't know. Um, so we would, we would set out and just run. At, and again, we don't have GPS. We're like, I think the school is this way. And we would just run, you know, until we got to the school and then we would, you know, deface the property and then we would go home. Uh, it was good times, right? It was good times. But we would just spend hours together just running, just running and running. What I remember most about that was our coach. Uh, and this is a picture of my coach, this is Kent Sanderson. And he always ran with us, particularly on the long run days. He never didn't run with us unless he was sick. And obviously he was older than us, and, and this picture is a faculty shot. You can see just from the picture, like you can tell he's a talker, right? His mouth is open, like he's just, he talked all the time. And he wasn't, you know, he was very crass, he told dirty jokes, he cussed a lot. We love this guy, like this was, you know, he could not work at a school today, there's no way, but he would always run with us, and he was a great runner. That's all he ever did. I mean, like, I think he taught so he could teach, so he could coach cross-country. And he would run with us and spend time with us in these, particularly in the long runs, and just, again, countless hours and days and weeks and years of just hitting the pavement beside this guy. And what did we do back then? We just talked. Like, you know, nobody carried the Walkman, you know, four pounds of music. Like, you just forget that. We'll just talk to each other. And so we would just talk, and mostly to him, because we would talk about, you know, the race coming up, the race we just had, or some road race we were going to do together, and we would listen to his wisdom, and we would, like, gain from that. We would just say, hey, tell us about how can I get better at this or that, or I really screwed up at the last race. Like, help me with this and that. And he would just coach us as we ran. And the thing about that was we uh, were learning as as students, we were learning, uh, by running with him and listening to him, we were learning two things. One, we knew we were learning. The second, we didn't know we were learning. 
The first thing that we knew we were learning was that we were learning skills, like we were learning about running. We were asking specific questions about this or that that had to do with running, and so he would teach us. We knew that that's what we were learning because that's what we were asking him to tell us. Tell us how we can get better and stronger and faster, and greater as a team. But the second thing that we were learning that we didn't know we were learning by running with him and listening to him all these years, the thing that we didn't know we were learning was that we were learning the sound of his voice. We were learning what he sounds like. Now, why is that important? Because on big race days, when there's thousands of people all through the cross-country course, piled in the woods, parents, friends, family, other teams, newspapers, and everybody's screaming, and yet you run through this big crowd of people amidst all the noise and the chaos and everybody's yelling people's names, our coach would say something and you would hear it. That's the voice you heard. Because for years and years and years, you're training your ear to just hear his voice. You recognize his voice because that's what you're hearing. You don't even know you're learning it, but through the time spent with him, we're learning the voice. And so you round a turn on a track meet, and again, it's so noisy, everybody's yelling, and he's just leaning over the fence in turn three, and you run by and he says something, and that's the voice you hear because your ear is trained to hear his voice. Now, this is the purpose of growing intimate with God so that in the race of life and the game of life and the pace of life, we can hear his voice clearly. And that doesn't happen in urgency. It happens through time, hours on the pavement, countless miles into the evenings of listening and becoming attuned to what he sounds like. And I think God speaks very consistently through three things. One is that he speaks very consistently through the words that have already been spoken. The scriptures. I think if you're a Christ-following person or if you're just seeking to know more about Jesus, we should be reading the gospel stories each and every day. Like there should never go a day where we don't read the gospel stories. And as we read those gospel stories, as we read the stories and the biographies of Jesus, like we're building this catalog that we don't even know we're building of how Jesus feels about things. And when we encounter, when we're staring down the barrel of temptation or a difficult situation or a relationship struggle or financial difficulties or just whatever the case may be, when we're staring down the barrel of those things in life and we don't really know what to do, this catalog of things that we've already heard, words that have already been spoken, they become clear to us. We know exactly how Jesus feels about this or that situation because we've heard it before. They're words that have already been said. God speaks through things that have already been spoken. And so when we encounter our enemies, it's already been said. We love them. When we encounter temptation to be greedy, materialistic, or gainful, we already know what Jesus said because we've been listening. And they're words that have already been spoken and God speaks through those, but he also speaks very, very consistently through a community of people, your friends. And I don't mean your buddies who could care less about your faith. I'm talking about your buddies that love God and love you. And God speaks through them. He speaks through your friends who love him and you. And when I am struggling through, like I, his voice isn't very clear, like I seek out that counsel from those friends of mine 
not as a group, because groupthink is dangerous. Everybody gets you to do things you don't need to be doing. But if you go individually to these people and you pray, like, God, I need to hear something from you from this community that loves me and loves you because I'm very unclear. And you go separately and you go privately and then the, you know, eight out of 10 just start saying the same things. I mean, here you go. You're starting to get some direction. And I think that he also speaks very consistently through the ordering of events. When you take steps of faith, when you hear the clear voice of what you should do or not do, and you take those steps of faith and then things begin to fall where they need to fall. But again, You'll never know that voice, and I'll never know that voice if I'm not still long enough to learn it. I mean, God is essentially saying, and be still and know that I am God. Uh, He's essentially saying, listen, I need you to hang out with me long enough that you learn the sound of my voice so well that when all hell is breaking loose in your world, that I'll be the voice that you hear. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. I need you to be still long enough to learn the sound of my voice so that when everything is falling the wrong way, that you'll hear me clearly and succinctly and that I will be the voice that you hear. As Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's sort of the overarching verse for our time together this invitation from jesus to come to find rest to erase the noise to erase the pace to erase the speed and the overcommitments and the commitments and to just find some rest in him for a while enough to make steps of faith to move on in our life in our lives and to trust him to hear him and a love Uh, this invitation from him because we can experience this in so many ways but as we close just now with communion as the Lord's Supper the bread and the juice uh, we were talking about this beforehand and how um, the communion in our service is this point at which time just kind of stands still it's just it's kind of the whole point like this we just rest for a minute and so I just want to invite you as you take the bread and the juice today to just be still, just to reflect. And if this is the only chance you get all week to be still, then take full advantage of it. And to think about what you've heard today and been challenged with today. So let me pray and then uh, take your time and make your way to one of the four tables in the room. Uh, Take the bread and the juice. You can take it at your seat or take it at the table. It doesn't matter. And, um, And then we'll sing together as we close. God, thank you for today and thank you again for this challenge that you give us um, throughout the Bible, but so so well put in verse 10 of Psalm 46 that it really just comes down to being still long enough that we can deepen our relationship with you. And that somehow we got to get control of our uh, pace so that we can drive the roots of our faith down deeper God, you're not asking us to be lazy. You're not asking us to not work hard, but you are challenging us um, to carve the time, to force the time that we need in order to build that relationship with you. God, for those in the room that are discouraged, maybe they're new to the faith, maybe it's brand new for them, 
and it's not going as fast as they would like it to go, I just I pray that you calm their spirit and just remind them that this is a long-term, it's not an urgent thing, but it's a long, slow process. God, for all of us, teach us to learn your voice, what it sounds like and how it guides us. And as we take the bread and the juice just now, let us uh, just reflect on the great love and mercy that you have for us. Even in those times where we ignore um, you calling us and wanting to encourage us and to equip us, we just, sometimes we ignore that. So just, we, we praise you for your mercy and grace in those situations. Be with us just now as we move to these tables and send a spirit of rest and peace through the room. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.